now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one died. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Mm. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Listen to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com, your place to get all your Carolina gear. I'll talk about them a little bit later in the show. Before we get started, I want you to take a moment to rate us and review us on iTunes or Spotify or however you get your podcast, audio podcast, and also take a moment to subscribe to the YouTube link below if you're listening to us or watching us on that medium. Carolina 26, Boston College 22, the day after podcast it is, Buck Sanders and Jason Staples have joined me. Buck, I'll start with you first. Uh, Mac Brown said, a win is a win or something to that effect, and certainly going up to Boston College and getting a win is always a good day. Your overall thoughts on what you saw on Saturday? Well, uh, the main thing you talked about and the thing that Mac talked about is they got the win, and for the uh, first time ever in their history, uh, they opened the season with back-to-back ACC wins. So that's not nothing. the game was uh, very uncomfortable to watch. If you're a UNC fan, it got a little too uh, close for comfort, particularly there at the end. Um, and from that reason, I think uh, a lot of people are upset, disappointed, don't feel great about it. But it was had it gone the other direction, and UNC came from behind to win 26-22, would have been a totally different uh, feeling about it, I think. I think the offense still needs to uh, take the advice of Mac Brown, which is to uh, take what the defense gives you. I, I don't think enough of that was going on. Um, and I, uh, I thought the defense played reasonably well. I'm a little concerned about some of the injuries on that side of the ball now after the game. Um, but all in all, a win, a win, is a win. Absolutely. Jason, uh, Buck referenced Mac Brown, take what the defense gives you. We talked after the Syracuse game, and we talked the last couple of weeks about Sam Howell needing to take more of the free stuff. Uh, he's getting better at it, I guess, uh, the numbers, the stats, um, the yards per play and yards per attempt and all that bear out some things. But it looked to me um, on more than one occasion – Saturday against Boston College, he was looking for the big shot when maybe something underneath was available. Uh, your thoughts on his progression over the first two weeks? Well, this is something we talked about in the Inside Carolina preview. Uh, it's something that I mentioned in the uh, scouting reports prior to the season, that this was going to be the big challenge for, for Howell coming into this year, is that every team that was going to face him this year it was going to be different from last year. Last year, you got to remember, Howell was a true freshman. So teams, first of all, came in, especially early in the year, came in with, with no film on him in terms of in a college system and no real sense of 
we're going to come into this game trying to stop Sam Howell. He was not the guy that teams were scheming for last year. And, you know, they're trying to take away the running game. They're trying to, trying to let's make Sam Howell beat us. Well, you know, Howell did that a few times, had some success. But this year, teams are coming in saying, all right, now we're going we're gonna to try to take what Howell does away and we're going to force them to beat us other ways. It's, it's a different thing for him now. And uh, you know, every defensive coordinator in America, every, at least every good one, is going to have the philosophy of you've got to make the opposing team beat you left-handed. So to uh, metaphorize from, the, from basketball, you hear, this, you hear defensive coordinators say this all the time. we got to make them beat us left-handed. So, you know, if you're, you're playing against a really good right-handed offensive player in basketball, you want to force him left. And if he beats you left and can, can hit that shot going left, can beat you down the lane going left, then you tip your cap and you say – that guy's pretty good, but you got to you can't give him the stuff that he likes. And that was the thing that going through Howell's stuff from last year, I noticed it. And I know that every, uh, every defensive coordinator who broke him down and they're going to spend all off season scheming for him. Those guys spent their off seasons watching what Howell did last year. And he had really a, the bulk of his success were on basically three throws. And so, you take those throws away and you say, all right, now, now beat us with something else. Let's see if you're patient enough to take that. And those three throws, and you really can almost combine them down to two, but those three throws were basically the, the vertical down, down the uh, outside the numbers. So either a, a takeoff or a fade, and especially that slot fade to Daz Newsom, they, they made a lot of hay on that stuff. And teams would, would single cover them and give them a chance to, to win over the top. And basically say, all right, you're going to have to beat us over the top. Well, they had a lot of success with that. And he throws a great deep ball. So that was, that was a lot of his success last year. And, and especially if you look at some of the, the success, even going back to the South Carolina game, in the fourth quarter, what did they, what did they win that game on? They, they, they won on a few deep shots, basically. The, the one that sticks out most to me is the, is the, uh, the Newsom uh, slot fade on, on, on that long third down that then they, they converted into a touchdown. And then the same thing, you know, Deami Brown's catch for a touchdown. You had Bo Corrales' catch for a touchdown in that game. All of those on the same route. And then you look at the, at the other success, and it was on, on the corner route, or they, they oftentimes run the corner. more. It looks more like an out uh, because they, they roll it uh, a good bit. But he had a lot of success throwing the corner route. And so – you, you could also toss in some out concepts there. That would be the third thing. But what this means is that most of his success last year came on the outside part of the field, outside the numbers, and especially down the field. Well, teams are taking that away now. They're saying, okay, well, you know what? <laughs> he, he showed us he can really, really throw those, those well. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and take that stuff away. We're going we're gonna to drop our guys and make sure that we're playing over the top. We're going to hedge these receivers, and we're going to force them to make plays – with, you know, not over the top, below the top. We're going we're gonna to force them. We're going to put a ceiling on them. We're going to see if they can execute between the hashes and in the intermediate area. We're going we're gonna to force him to, to, to play like a, an experienced quarterback in that regard. And there has been some development there. I mean, he's made some throws. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Let's, I mean, the, the play where he almost crossed the line of scrimmage, first of all, to slow himself down, be aware of where the line of scrimmage was. And then secondly, to make that throw to Javante Williams and, and which turned into a touchdown that's right between the hashes and, and, and a broken play. That's a veteran play. That's a really, really good play. But 
it is, it, it does take more execution. It takes more patience and he's still, he's still developing there. I mean, he's a gunslinger at heart. And I think we're still seeing the growth of Sam Howell here as he's for the first time facing college defenses that are really set up to try to take away what he's most comfortable with and what he, uh, what he's most accustomed to doing, what he's wired to do. So now you, now he's going to have to develop that left hand and show that he can, he can win going to the basket with that. But one thing he did is he ran the ball and then you take away that bad fumble and the ball gets kicked and Javante Williams makes just an unbelievable hustle play to get that ball back. Um, aside from that, Howell was very effective, had 49 yards rushing, of course, negative one after you count in that sack and then the rest. But I thought um, he looked good. He looked temple type good, military bowl type good running the ball uh, against a uh, Boston College defense. So I said in the pregame show that Marcus Valdez could play, the linebacker could play, um, and they were effective getting Howell on the move. I won't, you know, I hate to venture here already this early in the season, but a lot of people have talked about Phil Longo's play calling. My question to you is how much of it, the, the inconsistency is play calling issues, which I have an opinion on that versus uh, the decision-making maybe that Howell has made in games and, you know, to Jason's point, the growth that Howell needs to make to, make that play calling not so objectionable for so many fans. Well, I think you have to keep in mind, Tommy, that the air raid offense is an offense that's predicated on going long. Philosophically, uh, Phil Longo is just not wired to be a take it what take what they give you kind of offensive coordinator he's just not wired that well that way um if you look at just the garden variety descriptions of the air raid offense you're going to see a lot of people talking about um their first down play is go long their second down play is go long their third down play is go long so uh you know i think there's certainly probably philosophically it cuts against Longo's grain a bit to dial back the desire and tendency and uh, the whole uh, predicate of your offense, dial that back from the long pass uh, into a more of a, well, the, the underneath stuff is available. Let's go there. And then when they come up to protect against that, then we'll go long. Um, and, you know, a lot of air raid coaches are successful uh, in terms of just throwing the long ball and just never adjust. But I think Mac Brown is going to call him into his office and have more conversations with him about, hey, you know, maybe we should uh, dial back the tendency to try to go deep on every play. And, and throw more underneath stuff. I think they'll have that conversation. Jason, do you agree with that? And also, I didn't see a ton of separation. Now, I say that with the caveat of the audio, or the, excuse me, the video productions um, of football games early in the season has been horrific. Um, I would like show the safeties. <laughs> I would like to find think the petition. I would like to uh, think that it's COVID related, but it's really been an issue for a long time. But 
your thoughts on Buck's point there as far as maybe Longo adjusting. Longo has to adjust as much as Sam Howell does, as much as the receivers do, as everybody else does. Um, how does a coach adjust or make those adjustments when, like Buck says, it's in his nature to go deep? Well, I mean, I, I think there are a couple things here. One is, yes, four verts is, is, is one of the core concepts that, that every air raid team reps the heck out of. So, and that's, you know, four guys going vertical uh, on a, on a release. So, you know, that's, that's core to what Longo does, but that doesn't necessarily mean go long. Uh, So, so that's the thing you have to be able to adjust in those, in those concepts. You don't have to throw four verts over the top. A lot of teams will, will coach four verts to be primarily back shoulder throws and that's something that I think Carolina needs to rep a good bit right now because teams are going to play over the top of those receivers and they're going to continue to force them into, uh, in, into throws that are going to be, that are not over the top. And the more that you can rep those back shoulder throws and be ready for that, the better. So that's number one is just do the same things that you're doing in terms of the calls, but you can execute it. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> fighting that sneeze for about two minutes (laughs) so do the same things that you're doing but you can execute them differently and that that's um that's the, the the main thing on that now there's also a lot of concepts in the air raid that are short concepts i mean you run the snag you run smash you run uh you run mesh. They ran mesh quite a bit in this game, but, but uh, they, Boston college did a really good job of picking it up most of the time, but you're running mesh. And the design of that is, is either to hit one of those shallow crossers. you got two shallow crossers uh, at about five yards in right in front of the quarterback that mesh that run right past each other, usually clap hands uh, just to show that they're real close to each other. And they're, they're forcing the, the coverage to, to pass each other off. And then if the linebackers jump those routes, then you're trying to hit a dig route right behind them, a little uh, square in. So these are the sorts of things that, that are core to the air raid as well. And it's the stuff that they did call a good bit of, but first of all, as a quarterback, you've got to, you've got to see it well, and you got to have the confidence to make that throw to the guy that you, that, that you have. And there has to be separation. Now, the problem is, like you said, Tommy, none of us right now have a whole lot of, angles to be able to see what's going on downfield all the, all the time. Uh, and I'm going to need to get to the next home game in person just to be able to see what's going on downfield. Because frankly, with the, with the camera angles, we're, we're flying blind a good bit of the time, unless there's some replay that shows us. And, and but, but it does give me the impression right now that Howell's not super confident in everything he's seeing. And he, and, and they've done a good job with him of making sure to get him to, throw the throw the ball that you're confident in don't turn it over make sure that you're protecting the football and he's still doing that and that's that's the thing i mean i look at the at the boston college game here and when i look at the stats the things that i'm i'm looking at first in any football game is okay what do i see in turnovers and you know what there's still we can say a lot of things about about howell but how many interceptions did he have on, on, on Saturday? How many, how many, how many times do we see him fumble still protecting the football? And if you protect the football, you're going to, you're going to win a lot of football games. And so that's the other thing is there, he's still getting used to being able to make these decisions and, and throw some of these 
secondary reads, throw these, these uh, other concepts well without turning it over, without putting the ball in danger. And I think that's really where they're at right now. Buck, sticking on the offensive side of the ball for a little bit, uh, you know, I said, I think it was on the Inside Carolina Live show on Saturday in the pregame. I'm not so sure Michael Carter's not the offensive MVP of this team. Uh, he continues to do everything except get those fantasy point touchdowns, as Ross Martin pointed out on Twitter. But, you know, between Javante and Carter, you've got six point whatever yards of carry. Carter, of course, 7.6 yesterday. I mean, this running game, I think that is where some of the frustration comes from the fan base and people watching is they are so effective on the ground when they're able to commit to it uh, that they have, you know, it's why throw it. Um, I understand why, but um, speak to Carter and Javante's performance in the first two games of the season. Because, again, I do think Boston College and Syracuse at least had pretty solid defensive lines. The – thing that people need to understand is that it's not as though uh, North Carolina isn't running the ball. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, total offense, um, you know, the looking at it, um, they have run the ball much more often than they've thrown it. Um, they have 74 in two games, 74 uh, rushing attempts. And let me look real quick. I hope I'm right about this because I'm talking off the top of my head here. Uh, and North Carolina has 61 um, passing attempts. So it's not as though uh, – they're not leveraging, you know, the running game uh, at North Carolina. And, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is we're not talking about a team that, you know, the wheels have fallen off of in terms of offense. You know, there's there's still uh, in total offense yards per play. They're fourth in the conference. They're averaging six point four yards per play, um, and 432 yards per game. So, you know, it's not as though none of that underneath stuff that Jason was talking about, um, you know, it isn't happening. You know, the, they are going underneath and that, and he's still averaging 8.7 yards per attempt. So, you know, even though they've taken away the deep ball, the, there's no point on trying to um, unbalance the offense by skewing much more heavily um, to the run game than to the passing game. So, you know, I, I think these this is something that they're going to have to adjust to as the season goes on. But at the same time, at least what we get, we're getting from the numbers is that you know, the, the passing offense is still working. Uh, it's, you're just not seeing those deep shots. You're not seeing Diami or uh, you know, Daz catching the ball in the end zone, you know, with one hand falling out of the end zone. You're not seeing those plays. But that doesn't mean that North Carolina's passing offense is uh, 
uh, a liability at this point. They're, they're still, you know, doing well in that area. They're just not seeing those splash plays, you know, to wide receivers of 50 or so yards. Um, so, you know, run the ball, I, I think, is, uh, you know, and getting frustrated that they don't run the ball more. I'll at least say that they've learned how to hand the ball to Javante Williams around the goal line. Uh, so uh, that that's one place to start. They figure that piece out. Yeah, they certainly have been effective there. Javante around the goal line is is pretty much cash money for North Carolina, and, and they're running that effectively. Jason, right right quick before we go to break, offensive line. Uh, Jordan Tucker, if, if he's hurt, that could be a problem. But uh, speak to what you saw from the line against Boston College. Obviously, the Russian stats speak for themselves. The protections, how was under some immediate pressure pretty pretty often in, in this ball game. What did you see from the OL? Um, I, I think that there's – it's a little, a little up and down. I, again, as you said, the rushing stats kind of speak for themselves. Four and a half yards of rush, not bad, not not great. Uh, I thought that early on they struggled. To, they, they struggled just like they had against against Syracuse to pick up a few stunts and twists and all that, and get some things right. It still looks to me like they're. You've got some talented bodies up front, but they they are not all working exactly as you'd like as a unit, and that's something that some of it's probably from all of the up and down in terms of COVID-19 and injuries and all of those things. Some of it's probably from three weeks between games. And that's, we talked about on the, on the preview on the game plan podcast that after three weeks off, the one place where you're probably going to see the biggest difference is on the line of scrimmage. The offensive line does need live reps to really be able to, gel together as a group you've got to you've got to be able to to actually block real a real rush you've got to block guys going 100 miles an hour in the run game to get used to doing it with the guy next to you and, that, and there's no substitute for that kind of thing uh even in practice so and, and when you're not scrimmaging a bunch during the season if you're not playing games you're not getting that so i think some of that is 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 the price of of that uh i also think that the left side right now is young and, you know, basically from left tackle to center, there's still some, they're, they're still working out the kinks in terms of, of communication, in terms of youth, in terms of recognizing uh, pressure from, from the second level. There, there's just a, still a lot of things to clean up. I still think that there's a lot of talent on that offensive line. And when they get their hands on you and when they're when they know where they're supposed to be and they're, they're communicating well, they're they're winning they're winning those battles but it's just still a good bit to clean up you got to remember they're still a young group and then once tucker went out as well i think that made some difference in this game as well so but i i thought all in all they played well and a lot of the a lot of the pressure that howell got was because he was late in making decisions he held on to the ball a good bit in this game so and he had time to hold on to the ball so i mean it was a mixed bag uh, i think as with most uh, most situations, the offensive line is going to get more blame from fans than than, tip, than typical than they deserve, uh, or that they are going to as typically going to get more blame from fans than they deserve, just because 
that's just when you see pressure on the quarterback or when you see a guy get hit in the backfield, the immediate assumption is, Oh, that's, that's the offensive line's fault. He also had a couple misses from, from, uh, from backs and protection in this one. I know Javante had one pretty bad miss and pass protection in the end zone that, uh, that is, is what caused, uh, caused the, actually there was one interception, wasn't there? I was looking at the, um, yeah, it was a, that tip mess yeah. down around the goal line. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I said that earlier, I, w- I wasn't thinking about that one, but, um, that, that's not on the quarterback. So that's why I didn't count it. And I was also looking at the stats and didn't see it, but, uh, but yeah, that's what caused that interception is that was on the back, not on the, not on the run, not on the uh, offensive line. So you kind of have to look at the whole picture. I think overall the offensive line played reasonably well, especially for a second game, especially for three, uh, three weeks off and especially for not having the best offensive lineman on the team out there. So, you know, I think a little bit mixed, but more positive than, than negative in this game. Indeed. Take a short break. Talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Great sponsors of the podcast. Great uh, friends of Inside Carolina and great friends of Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. If you're one of those, you get 10% off your order on top of all the sales and all the all the offers and deals they have throughout the year, especially around the holidays coming up. You can get jerseys, uh, shirts, anything you want clothing wise uh, for anybody in your family you can also get any tailgate supply one day we will tailgate again uh, mm. things things for your home things for your car whatever you need from johnny t-shirt and johnny t-shirt.com uh, great friends like i said and great friends of the premium subscribers you subscribe 10 percent off and the thing about that 10 percent off is it's on top of whatever sale they have so if they have a 30 percent sale and you got 10% extra, that's 40% off. You can't beat it. Go to Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street. Go see them. They'll bring it out to the curb for you or go uh, go shop with them online. They'll bring, it straight, bring it straight to your door. Jason Staples obviously loves some Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Take another short break. Let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. We're back. It's the game. Oh, excuse me. It's the day after podcast. Been t- that type of week so far, folks. The day after podcast, Buck Sanders and Jason Staples are with me. I'm going to switch up the order. Buck, I've always started with you, but I'm going to start with Jason on this go around. Phil Jerkovic or Jerkovic. Uh, 6'5, 230, maybe, probably more than that. He played a well of a game against North Carolina, but let's talk about on North Carolina's end, the pressure that they got on him and then the ability to get him on the ground. I thought that was a key going into the ball game is if you get pressure on him, you got to get him off his feet. Uh, Jakovic certainly found a way to make some plays in his 56 passes, made them all except the last one. 
Um, how did Carolina fare dealing with that guy? What pressure? What? Uh, uh, that was that was my one of my criticisms uh, uh, out of, coming out of this game is that I'm looking at the I'm looking at the numbers right now on Pro Football Focus and they did get 29 pressures on him right out of those 56 passes. So basically, one one out of every two dropbacks is that they not, got they got some sufficient? pressure. Is that not good enough? Here's what concerns me. Here's where the pressures came from. Nine pressures from Chaz Surratt, four from Tamon Fox, four from Jeremiah Gemmel, four from Hopper, three from Bohasic, two from Storm Duck. Then you're starting to get down into, the, into you know, nothing else after that. What's most concerning to me is when they needed pressure, they got it mostly from the second level. And that's, that's been my concern coming into the – that was my concern coming into the year for this team – and I think it's an even bigger concern now. And especially, I mean, I don't know how, how I know Vohasek went out in this game, but depending on, on his status, that, that's, a, that's a concern because they were not able to get pressure consistently without bringing a backer and without bringing either Gamble or, or Surratt, they were not getting pressure on him. I mean, you take out the, those, uh, you, you look at how many hits did they get on him? Surratt got five hits on him. Des Evans got one, Bohasic got one, and Gemmel got one. That's it. Mm. Right? Mm. So five of those hits came from Chaz Surratt. And look, Surratt's a really good player. So, you, you know, you, you know what you got with him in terms of a, of a rusher, in terms of all that. But if you're depending on that one guy to be, to be your pressure guy, and then what that means is you can't, you can't use him in coverage, you can't use him in some of the other ways that, that you're depending on him to be a player. So that's the concern to me is that they were not able to get pressure with their base front without bringing one of those backers. And so, and, and I think that is one of the reasons why Boston college had success throwing the football is because they knew that when they were getting pressure, they knew that there was something there to be, to be had in the, in the second level, particularly in that middle area. And they, they took advantage of some of that. That's when they, they, they would hit the tight end. That's when they would do some of those different things that got them uh, some key first downs. You got to be able to generate rush. You got to be able to generate pressure without bringing a backer. And right now, Carolina has a long way to go there. Buck, Jason's point right there is something we talked about in the game plan podcast is how do you utilize Chas Surratt? Do you utilize him to cover Hunter Long, the tight end? But if you do that, you don't get the pressure you can get from him rushing the quarterback. And I don't think Carolina ever figured that out because Hunter Long was just fantastic. I mean, he was the best player on the field at times. But Carolina, that dilemma that Jason talks about, that's something that Carolina's got to figure out. The question is, how do you figure it out with the talent that they have out there? I thought Des Evans, I don't know, he looked a little slow to me, um, like he didn't quite know what he was supposed to be doing. He made he, he made an effect, or he made some uh, commotion on a couple plays, but he didn't look as aggressive as he's going to need to be. Miles Murphy was out there. He had some, some moments, but we know what they've got upperclassman-wise. So how does Jay Bateman uh, work that in, you know, and not just have chess? You only have one Chasserat. Well – how do you use him if you're not going to be able to get pressure any other way? The thing that I keep thinking about, and it was part of my morning after column uh, today, 
is that you can see, I think, you, you talked about Des and Murphy and both of those guys scratched on the stat sheet by getting a quarterback hurry. Um, but you, you can see in them their potential to be a disruptor. We haven't seen some other guys uh, like Clyde Pender or um, KBJ. Uh, we haven't seen some of the other people that are, are on the sidelines now because they're nursing some kind of injury. But you can see that there's potential there for North Carolina to uh, that defensive line OLB uh, layer of defense to improve. And what those guys primarily lack, Jason was talking about how live reps affect uh, the offensive line. I think line live reps also affect the defensive line and that outside linebacker position. Um, you got to get used to the level of contact you're going to get uh, from offensive linemen firing off. Uh, you got to get used to diagnosing different protections and how to defeat those. And, and the only way you can really do that, I think, is in games. So I think it's coming. Um, and I think probably the, the goal in the back of Jay Bateman's mind is as we get to the, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth games of the season, that people other than Chad Rat are going to be uh, getting hits on quarterbacks and making those kinds of plays and doing those sorts of things. Um, so, and, and there's also another option, which is to uh, – bring in uh, Eugene Asante inside and let Chaz go to an outside linebacker spot. You're still counting on uh, Surratt to get to the quarterback, but that gives you another option of how to do it. So I think the defense is coming along. I think the defense is going to, by the end of this season, be a much better defense than what you're seeing right now, I believe, um, as these younger kids get – more reps, get more instruction, uh, get a little bigger and stronger in the weight room. Uh, those things are on the come. So we'll just see how fast they can get here and when some of these other players might be available like Pender and KBJ and some other guys. Yeah, not having guys out there puts a lot of stress on a guy like Chasseret having to play you know, 80, 81 snaps a game. We talked about that all last season about how that's not – ideal Jason talk about the play of Trey Morrison um, one of my concerns was moving him back to safety I understand the need but he was he's little I mean he's a small guy uh, he came up huge for North Carolina on Saturday what'd you see from the from the young fella that um, eases your mind on any of those back you know, the defensive backfield issues that could happen and, and are going to happen with, with injuries. I mean, a guy like Morrison can do it all back there. Yeah, I, I was really pleased with what I saw from him. Before that, I, I do want to get out, get one other thing out there too, is with Eugene Asante not playing in this game, I think that was a big factor in terms of what limits you and how you can use Chaz Surratt because Asante, his, his skill set to be able to 
to be a coverage backer gives you more flexibility with, with when you put both of those guys on the field at the same time. Uh, so that's, that's worth noting. But as far as Trey Morrison goes, he was better than I, than I thought he would be. And I like Trey Morrison a lot. I think he's a good player. He looked really comfortable back there at safety. Uh, the one, and then, you know, the one thing that, that if you're worried about his size, the one play that'll, that'll sort of solve that problem for you is he came up and laid the wood on that outstanding tight end. And I can tell you right now that uh, the tight end's name is escaping me right now, but, but that tight end is, is going to be waking up tomorrow or waking up today, I guess, and tomorrow for a few days, he's going to be feeling that. And that's going to impact the way he breathes for a week or two, because Morrison put the lumber to that, um, that midsection. And if you had any doubts about how physical he'd be, he was there. And, and obviously the, uh, the, the game clinching uh, two point conversion interception and return, he was, he was all over the place in terms of, recognizing one of the one of the best aspects of him is his football IQ and you can see him back there you can see his ability to get into passing lanes and and be disruptive and get downhill quickly when he recognizes uh something underneath so valuable player there it's still not as as I not the ideal because what you'd really like is for him and uh you know Wolfolk to bo- to both be on the field together but with Wolfolk out that's that so uh you know that that's the unfortunate part, but I don't think there was a drop-off there. The drop-off is really at the, at the nickel spot where they're, they're young and they're having to learn how to, how to, how to compensate for Morrison's absence there. But I, I thought he, he really played well at that nickel spot. I do think that there's some concern. I don't know what, what uh, Storm Duck's injury was, but it did not – I'm, I'm a little concerned based on his reaction when they were squeezing that foot. If he's out for any length of time – he, he and Surratt have been the two best defensive players and that, that would be a huge loss at corner, especially with Renee, clearly not hundred uh, percent. The secondary all of a sudden goes from a major strength to having some question marks. And that's, that's the real concern at this stage of the season. It is that that's concerning. Conley got dinged up as well. I mean, uh, injuries are going to happen, but it's amazing to me how Carolina manages to have um, to manages to suffer injuries in one, one position. I mean, one position gets decimated, um, but we'll see how that shakes out later in the week. Buck, a win is a win for North Carolina. Goes to 2-0 and in the conference. So let's look across the league a little bit. Um, I thought a big game for North Carolina that they didn't play in was the State and Pittsburgh game. And we talked about it a little bit off the air. I thought State looked pretty good, but Pittsburgh losing. Anytime you're in a league race and a team you do not play loses is a good thing, even if the Wolfpack – is the beneficiary of that win. What do you see across the ACC with that game, Buck, and other games um, that maybe made you think Carolina's got a real shot to get in that top two or, or not? The uh, NC State game uh, that you mentioned, yeah, it's kind of a uh, double-edged sword there. I, I, like you, it's good uh, for a conference team that you're not going to play to get a loss. Um, and a bonus feature of that is I'm really sick of hearing uh, Packer and Durham talk about uh, Pittsburgh <laughs> and how great they are. And, uh, you know, so that, that will uh, put a damper on some of that conversation for the coming week. Um, I was a little surprised that um, 
Duke put 31 points on uh, Virginia Tech and made a game out of that uh, to some extent. Uh, they were helped in that regard because Virginia Tech turned the ball over three times, and you can't always expect that to happen. Um, and, and, you know, the, uh, the Clemson-Virginia game surprised me a little bit. Uh, even though Clemson beat them, like, what, 41 to 23, I think, um, they didn't cover the spread against Virginia. Uh, I think uh, Clemson was like a 28-point favorite or something like that. So um, I think Virginia uh, showed a little bit more um, in, in that game, certainly, than they did in the ACC championship when they got beaten, what, 62 to 17. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, that was a little surprising. I expected that margin to be a little bit bigger uh, on Clemson's side. I, I didn't expect uh, the closeness of the Duke and Virginia game. But I, I, you know, don't hate the messenger here, but I was really uh, impressed with how NC State played against uh, Pittsburgh. They, they weren't intimidated. Uh, Pittsburgh has got a, a reputation for being extremely nasty on, on the front and just chippy overall. And State didn't back down. I mean, they, they took it to Pitt that entire game. So um, that's kind of my overview. Have I missed a game that um, – Nothing relevant. There was a lot of teams off in the conference. Yeah, there, there was only a few games. So uh, I think I probably covered you, you, you missed the You missed Florida State there. They, uh, they came out <laughs> with that, that huge win against, against FCS Jacksonville State. So – they tried well, to take the week know, off. It looked like at first about that. They had me worried about that for what till about the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, they they tried to take a week so, off, but you know that that was that was probably a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. I Jason. want to circle back for a moment to Trey Morrison. Okay. Uh, before you move on, Tommy, um, you know, and Tommy will probably say amen to this, but the hardest hitting. Uh, UNC safety I've ever seen on the field was Bracey Walker. Novocaine. And, yeah. And when, when he hit people, you could hear it up in the cheap seats where Tommy and I sit. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and he, he was 5'11 and a buck 85. So, um, you know, I, I think sometimes, uh, you, you, of course, you got to have the physical ability and wherewithal to do it. But, Sometimes how, how hard you hit people uh, depends on your want to, sort of like rebounding in basketball. Uh, it's kind of a want to thing. Um, and Morrison obviously has that want to. He does. The, the, the one fear or concern maybe is to be able to hold up to the want to. You get, you get small guys that like to lay the wood, they end up, usually hurting themselves, but we'll see. Morrison played a fantastic game against Boston College, and a lot of people fretted that Hunter Long, the tight end for Boston College, had such a big day. That guy's going to have a big day um, quite it's a few a times. Lot of people. And he's going to make a lot of money on the next level, I'd wager. Uh, just a great player, as will the Boston College quarterback. Jason, you got anything else to close us out? I tried to avoid mentioning Florida State, um, but, yeah. Listen, I, I'm in no mood for mercy here. So, 
Yeah. Uh, I, I don't really have a whole lot left to add. I mean, I, I, th- I think that there were, this was, this was a solid win on the road and you know, the road games still Matt, it's still harder to play on the road. Even when there's no crowd there, people forget that it's not, not always just the crowd. It's that you're in a, in a different stadium, you're playing away from home. You had to travel. There's all these other things that are, that impact winning on the road. Any road wins a good win. This one did, I think, reveal some some warts on this team that they're going to have to continue to get better. There's there's some places where uh, you can still see some gaps that need to be need to be fixed, uh, but there's room for growth and there's players on this on this roster that as the, especially some of those young guys that as they get better can uh, can continue to improve this team. There's this team is, is nowhere near its peak, and and can get a lot better than this. The final thing is when I look at the average yards per play in this game, Carolina was at 6.2 and Boston College was at 4.7. Normally with that big of a gap in terms of yards per play, which that's, those are both good numbers. With that big of a gap, you're going to expect to win by about 14. You know, so this, this game was closer, I think, than the actual play on the field suggested. Maybe it might've been, might've, might, might be. And I think, that uh, that tipped interception was was a big factor in that in that gap and that not being quite as big a gap as it could have been, but I thought North Carolina played a little better in this game in, than than the actual score gap was. Good to get a close win out. Good to go ahead and get a win on the road. And I think there's a lot of positives that you can take from this more so, more so than negatives. Yeah, and the bottom line is two and zero in the ACC. Two and zero with two ACC wins in this type of year. Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Keenan Stadium noon on Saturday. Uh, maybe we'll see what happens. Virginia Tech still having issues. Uh, who knows what happens? But we'll be there to cover it inside Carolina Wheel all week. You've got your daily podcast that'll come your way. For me, you'll get the uh, on the beat and the game plan with Jason Staples later in the week. Buck Sanders, always a pleasure. Jason Staples, always a pleasure. Thanks. Appreciate it, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Yep. You've been listening to Inside Carolina Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Rate us, review us, subscribe, do all that stuff. We'll be around next time. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy.